G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 15 review, back to a full nine games. And boy, what an eventful weekend of football in lots of ways. Some surprise results, some big ramifications for certain AFL heavyweights, um, some severe complications courtesy of our old friend, the Pandemic. Uh, boy, there's some uh, logistical nightmares ahead of the AFL, a whole range of uh, stories coming out of uh, various teams' travails across the last few days and uh, a crowd turned away literally hours, uh, only a couple of hours before the start of what was supposed to be a very, very big clash. So not great on the health front uh, and not great for my tipping this round either. I've had the proverbial nightmare with a number of upset results as I bid a very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. What'd you make of it all, Fine? A fair bit going on. Yeah, well, there is a lot going on, but let's start with footy tipping because uh, one man's famine is another man's, I wish, feast, but maybe snack. So I think I pulled a couple back on you. You did. Means... The, uh, the gap between us is now about uh, 63, I think. Yeah, you keep saying that, but I'm going to ask you to check it eventually. <laughs> um, nevertheless, it was a round where tipping was difficult. We don't know what the future holds in terms of fixturing, venues. I do know this much. I don't think I care where West Coast are playing. I really don't. They were uber disappointing. We saw Richmond go down to the Saints and that also puts a big dent in their premiership hopes. Look, get them while you can. And I'm talking about wins because who knows who knows what tomorrow holds? Uh, absolutely. And uh, that applies in, in lots of contexts uh, just on the COVID situation. So, you know, in the last 12 hours or so, we had... Uh, the North Melbourne team having to get tested and isolate as a, a result of them, uh, uh, some contact, casual contact they may have had at an airport. We had a couple of Hawthorne assistant coaches, Sam Mitchell and Andy Otten, unable to be part of their side's game against GWS because they'd been with Box Hill, who had played Aspley in the VFL, <laughs> and they had come into contact with a carrier. So... That threw Hawthorne's plans awry. And then obviously the big one, just a couple of hours before that big West Coast, Western Bulldogs game at Optus Stadium, the WA government uh, declaring that a lockout after uh, a case over there. So uh, we've already got the West Coast, uh, Sydney West Coast game next weekend being played at Geelong. Uh, we've got people throwing up all wild and wonderful ideas and probably getting ahead of the curve or attempting to get ahead of the curve. And I'm going to have a little rant about that a bit later on, Finey. And uh, looking forward to your rant too. We might need uh, a little uh, something to lighten the mood a bit because mine is pretty serious. But a heap to talk about 
And I'll tell you what, a heap to buy and to enjoy from our various sponsors. And it's time to plug them now, of course. Our official Footyology podcast partner is Palmerbet. We're very grateful for their support. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. And what about our long-time supporters, Finey? Give them a plug. Andrews Hamburgers. Wow. Talk about riding out the storm in style. If you get down there and get a burger, yeah, I know we live in a world of ever-changing conditions and flux, but one thing does not change, and that's the quality of an Andrew's hamburger. It is something you can hang your hat on, pin the tail if you've got a donkey on, but more importantly, get stuck into and enjoy. They've been around for over eight decades, not years, decades. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. It is the place where people go to try a burger as it was meant to be. And I'll tell you this, Rowan, the more things change, the more we yearn for the good old standards that we can relate to. And that is why Andrew's Hamburgers is a safe harbour in stormy times. And speaking of safe harbours, how about a, a safe domicile, a great place to live because we are spending a lot of time at home during these various lockdowns and times of turmoil. So make your home a castle and do that with West Point Properties. Nick Spartels will make you a prince of your domain, king of your domain. Royalty indeed if you live in a West Point property home in the southeastern Melbourne suburbs. How about those two for great constants? They are great. As is Stats Insider, they are certainly kings of their statistical domain, Finey. The best sports data analysts in the business they deal with a range of more than 15 sports globally. They sample an event in a particular sport more than 10,000 times to bring you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. And there's some damn good writing, all fiercely independent, on their website for you to peruse as well. So check it out, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. All right, we've got a heap to get through. A lot has happened over the last few days in football. Let's talk about it. On Footyology, wrap around. Well, round 15 kicked off back on Thursday evening up at the Gabba with a big top-of-the-table clash between Brisbane and Geelong. And it was an emphatic win to the home side, really franking their credentials as a flag contender this season. 44 points the margin. The Cats haven't copped uh, too many pastings like that in recent times. The final scores, Brisbane 13-16-94, defeating Geelong 7-8-50. The goal kickers, four to Danaher, three to Cameron, two to Hipwood, Two to McCarthy, singles to Coleman and Lyons. And for the Cats, two to Smith, two to Tui, and just the singles to Hawkins, Rowan, and Dangerfield. The damage done in this game right from the start, uh, quarter time, Brisbane leading 4-7 to a solitary point. Could have been an even bigger lead than it was. And they just kept the Cats at bay very comfortably from that moment on. Um, a real statement of intent by Brisbane, I thought, Finey. What do you think? First of all, I think the Gabba players back, Rowan, 
you know, last year we had a lot of football played at the Gabba because of the hub created for Victorian teams. And I thought that maybe the home ground advantage might be diluted by the number of games that Victorian teams played there. No such thing. They play that ground beautifully. And this was the perfect result at the right time of the year for Brisbane to genuinely throw their hat into the ring as a premiership contender. Why do I say that? Because, all right, first of all, beating Geelong, who were on a six-game winning streak with that forward line absolutely bristling, is good enough for your credentials. Of course it is. A lot of people. In fact, I think uh, the odds makers, including our own Palmer Bet, had Geelong the favourite to win the flag going into this round. But not only did they win it, I think they got the perfect mix of goal kickers, Rowan. Joe Danaher for... They got Joe Danaher there to kick goals. We can make excuses or try and give other reasons why he's valuable, but he's most valuable on the score sheet. Cameron Three continues his good form. Hipwood buys in. McCarthy was great all night as a small forward. Don't you reckon that would have pleased Fagan not as much as the win, but on top of the win? I do. Uh, look, three things stood out to me about Brisbane in this performance. One, um, the, I guess, collective performance of their defence. Uh, you know, we, we talk about Geelong's potency up forward, but they really were rendered impotent by the Brisbane defence, I thought. And a couple of stats that really caught my eye. One of them was the tackle count. Now, Geelong did... Funnily enough, in this game, Geelong did end up with the lion's share, pun, pardon the pun, of possession. Um, but still, the tackle count in this game, pretty instructive, 67 to 47. So Geelong didn't really apply enough defensive pressure, but Brisbane had it in spades. The other one, um, given the stats, and Geelong did win a number of statistical categories, but this was a really efficient Brisbane, I thought. Uh, obviously hit the scoreboard more effectively. But uh, a key to that is the marks inside 50. 17 they took. That's a really good figure. 17 to 9. So they're much more their um, distribution of the ball inside 50 was a lot cleaner than Geelong's, I thought. So that was uh, a, a pretty pivotal statistic, I thought, in the game as well. So uh, the toughness, you know, I think there's a tougher edge to this Brisbane side than perhaps we gave them credit for. And their scoring efficiency. I mean, it's sort of funny. They've been um, criticised for being wasteful with their opportunities and, you know, even scoring accuracy has been an issue for them. And look, even in this game, they kicked more points than uh, goals, didn't they? But I think overall, the way they're bringing the ball inside the scoring zone is really impressive. Our lingering doubt, perhaps, is, uh, or my lingering doubt remains, you know, how much better a side are they at home than away? But I think that's gradually subsiding for me because this looks like a side that can win all over the place and in a different range of circumstances. They do fill their, as I said, that they sort of tick a lot of boxes with that win over Geelong, don't they, Rowan? Whereas Geelong remain with one major box on tick. Now, when we did the previews of the game, I tipped Brisbane, and I think I raised your eyebrows when I said by 31 points, but one of my main reasons, or the main reason I gave for Brisbane being able to dominate Geelong is, first of all, the absolutely stellar rise to 
top-class ruckman that Big O has had. I think that's come pretty quietly with McInerney, by the way. He is a great ruckman and really good around the ground. But that unkicked box for Geelong remains a bugbear. And it can lose you big games, as we saw on Thursday night. They don't have a ruckman, Rowan. Blitzhands should be in the back line. I'm going to I'm going to put a line through a Saba Radigalia. I don't think he provides anywhere near enough down forward, and he actually doesn't really know how to ruck. I think we have to return to Reece Stanley, and Chris Scott needs to keep his fingers crossed that that one in four great game by Reece Stanley falls at the right time between now and the rest of the season. Yeah, it's a good point. That's uh, how long have we been talking about Geelong's ruck stocks and? Uh, it's just staggering to me that they don't seem any more sort of certain about which way they want to go now than they were in even, say, 2018 or 19. But uh, you're right. I mean, I did. I wrote during the week. I, I found it hard to see a weakness with them. But uh, I think you could be spot on there, particularly not just, say, McInerney, but uh, some of the other flag aspirants and Boy, I watched uh, Max Gorn last night at the MCG and he was pretty awesome. You know, Ruckman are pivotal to September. So, again, an issue the Cats are going to need to address before the end of a season. Uh, more immediately than the end of a season, next week, what's on the agenda for both these teams? Well, Brisbane, they have to go to Adelaide to take on the Crows. That game is the twilight game on Saturday, 4.35pm Eastern Time, Adelaide Oval. And the Cats, well, fortunately for them, they get uh, another home clash at their favourite GMHBA stadium where they have won 97 of the last 108 games. And they're up against Essendon, who haven't played there since 1993. So um, that will certainly be another advantage for them as they try to bounce back. So big win for the Lions, an emphatic win and a significant win, you'd think. And that was back on Thursday evening. What about what happened on Friday night? Friday night football returned to the MCG, of course, games back in Victoria this weekend. And it was Richmond taking on St Kilda. Uh, expectations not high about this one. Um, and the result uh, seen as a bit of a foregone conclusion by enough people out there, well... They got the shock of their lives. This undoubtedly one of the upsets of this season. A terrific win to the Saints, holding Richmond to its lowest score since 1961. 40 points the margin. The final score, St Kilda 9-8-62 to Richmond's paltry. Two goals, 10-22. The goal kickers for the Saints, the goals, uh, two each to King, two to McKenzie, singles to Dunstan, Higgins, Long, Ross and Wood. And for the Tigers, won't take long, Edwards and Martin. Another game, finally, where the winning side laid the foundations early in the piece. 3-2 to the Saints in that first term to Richmond, five behinds. And you thought, well, perhaps... It's just Richmond's inaccuracy. They'll come good. Well, they didn't because they had just one goal on the board at halftime. The Saints by then, 5-3. Another goal to the Tigers in the third quarter while the Saints added three. And then just one goal in total in the last quarter. But it was a foregone conclusion by then. The football world shocked, beginning to ask whether 
a golden era is at its conclusion. Um, but you know what, Finey? Uh, a great win by your boys. Uh, there has been a lot of attention on Richmond. I think your Saints deserve a bit of examination here, don't they? Well, they certainly do. This was a, the St Kilda that certainly St Kilda supporters were hoping for and partly expecting after making the finals and beating the Bulldogs in a final in 2020. And, of course, this season has been disappointment heaped on some promise, but more disappointment than promise. This, though, was a game where St Kilda supporters can maybe afford to slightly dream again and think that the finals, though unlikely, are not impossible. How did it happen? Well, you know that I'm a huge fan of the ruck combination of Ryder and Marshall. I believe they're the best combination in the comp. You only have to look at what they've done in tandem together, even in this disappointing season. They've played four games together. Take out round nine when Marshall came off early with that plantar fasciitis problem. They've played three full games together. And in those games, St Kilda have gone three and zip, including beating the Premier's Richmond. Now, that's a pretty telltale sign as to how important they are. It stretched beyond them. St Kilda got great results and also service out of Daniel McKenzie, who kicked unusually two goals, including a very important set shot in the third quarter, but particularly Luke Dunstan, who was awarded the Ian Stewart medal for best on ground and played a tremendous game out of the middle, not only going with Coxon, toe-to-toe in the physical stakes, but beating him at the clearance as well. So you look at Dunstan and McKenzie, for example, and Mason Wood, who played well, and nobody had them in St Kilda's best 22 at the start of the season. So you can say that St Kilda's got injuries, but really hasn't it afforded opportunities to players who are now grasping it with both hands? And I would say Dunstan and McKenzie have now got football futures that they may not have had at the start of the year. Yeah, well, just to back up your point about the ruck too, and obviously, uh, perhaps conversely, underlining the importance of Toby Nankervis to Richmond, the uh, hit-out tally was very lopsided, 21 to Richmond, 42 to the Saints. But uh, translating also into domination in the clearance stat, the Saints, 42 clearances to 23. Now, Richmond hasn't been a particularly strong clearance side, but that is... uh, very lopsided. And the other significant one, contested possessions. Uh, St Kilda up by 22 in that stat. So, uh, yep, you're, you're absolutely spot on about the uh, well, the importance of your your boy Marshall to uh, how the whole St Kilda operation ticks over, not even just that midfield. But, look, we do need to talk about Richmond. Um, we did discuss it on Footyology Final Siren. I, st- I still think they are some sort of chance. going to be tough. They're going to have to do it for the bottom half of the eight. But I think if they can make the top eight, they are some sort of chance because I still think their best is better than anyone else's. Can they produce it? Well, it's been coming in fits and starts and it didn't come at any stage at all in this game. Uh, you, you prepared to write them off totally? Yep. Not least of which the reason of losing two important backmen with, I've been sort of waiting for syndesmosis to come in a multiple. Is it syndesmosi? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There's a lot of it about. I thought it was just with your ankle, but uh, Nathan <laughs> yeah. Broad, uh, Noah Bolter, sorry, they're talking about it with his Both knee. Both of them. Yeah. yeah, well, 
incredibly, it wasn't his knee. It was a syndesmosis problem, but could keep him out certainly until the finals. And for Richmond, will there be finals without Noah Bolter and Nathan Broad out for a fortnight? Nan Curvis, of course, is still a very big miss, and so is Tom Lynch. And we saw that emphasised with the uh, Samson Ryan. Well done to make his debut, but he looks a long way off. And Marbiel Chol as a first ruck, also looks wanting Coleman Jones. So for me, the big miss in this Richmond team, Rowan, is in previous years, they've been able to integrate two or three new players into the side that have made that grand final team. This year, the youngsters that they've tried, Mansell, Martin, Scholl, not a youngster, but certainly not experienced, Coleman Jones, Ryan Dawkins. Collier Dawkins. It's By the way, it's not as many players as names. They've got more hyphens than a private school yearbook. But the fact is, none of those guys, I think, are going to be in a 22 that can win them a flag. That's the difference. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point. Look, having said that, their run home is pretty handy. They've got five of their last eight at the MCG. They've got Gold Coast, Collingwood, uh, a really tough fortnight after that against Brisbane and Geelong, but they've got then Fremantle, North Melbourne, GWS, Hawthorne. Uh, I still think they'll be making the eight. If they can get you know, the injured guys back, if they can start to string to get a longer passages of form, there's plenty of ifs there, though. I, I certainly can see that it's looking harder and harder for them. Uh, what's on the agenda for both? Just on that, Rowan. Yep. Is that almost what they need to to sort of invigorate them? Because each year it's looked harder and harder. Almost each grand final win has been more brilliant, more brilliant. Maybe it is adversity that has that team playing their best football. So we could be celebrating the greatest of all time if they win the flag this year. Well, to be close to it, it would be a bigger achievement than last year, which uh, they won the hard way. As you say, lost the qualifying final, had to pull out three finals wins in a row. This would require four finals wins in a row. So time will tell. Uh, The immediate journey for them, they have Gold Coast next Thursday night up at Metricon Stadium. That was a venue they became familiar with last year. Let's see if it uh, helps jog the memory banks and jolt them back into a bit of that 2020 form. And your Saints, Viney, they are up against Collingwood on Sunday afternoon, 3.20 at the MCG. So a big chance for your boys to build on what was a very impressive performance indeed. All right, that was Thursday and Friday night. Let's talk about Saturday. First game on the Saturday program was at Marvel Stadium with the roof open. Of course, uh, part of the COVID guidelines that needed to be followed in order for football to be played in Melbourne over the weekend. It was Collingwood up against Fremantle and the Dockers did it. They pulled out a really good performance on the road for a 12-point win over the Magpies. Uh, pretty good game, this, and a pretty exciting finish. Fremantle prevailing, 14 goals, 7, 91 to Collingwood's 12-7, 79. The goal kickers, 3 to Rory Lobb, 3 to Lockie Schultz, 2 to Henry, 2 to Bewley. Singles to Switkowski, Tracy, Brayshaw and Crowden. 
for the Pies. Two to Bianco. He's an impressive kid. Two to Grundy. Two to Thomas. Singles to Callum Brown, Cameron, Elliot, Hoskin Elliot. That's a different player. And Majacek and Sidebottom. Well, finally, the first little bit of this, maybe 10 or so minutes, I was thinking, oh, here we go. Wayne Dockers again. But to their credit, they really found something in the latter half of that first quarter. And uh, then it was a, a real full-on Donnybrook, this game, back and forth. Uh, Collingwood at one stage looking to have um, the points in their keeping. Five goals they kicked in the last quarter. But it wasn't enough because Frio had four of their own. A couple of crucial moments in that uh, last quarter. A couple of goals to Bewley. Some great work by uh, young William Henry. He's, um, he's going to be a really good player for them. And in the end, uh, Fremantle taking home the points with a 12-point victory over the Magpies. It was a pretty good game, this one. Absolute ripper. I thank both teams for the endeavour. Collingwood, look, without Moore and Dugowie, even with the return of Taylor Adams, you had a sense that they might be up against it. Certainly, Moore is needed down back, and that was slightly counteracted by the fact that Tabiner went off early in the game, probably shouldn't have played, and that Fife was a late withdrawal, but that was okay because Nat Fife's late withdrawal and Tabiner going off actually opened the door for a couple of heroes towards the end of the game. I speak of Mitch Crowden, who got a very important goal in the third quarter from some distance out, and then Brett Bewley, who was magnificent in the last quarter with a couple of really telling shots at goal and that great snap put them in front and from there they were able to win the game. Just sorry, and, just let me chip in there too. His second goal from the set shot, yep. great coolness under pressure by Henry running towards goal and then spotting him in the clear and rather than blazing away, just pinpointing him with that pass. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because actually Henry was set up by a handball by Lobb, who was also instrumental in the win. He's really playing well, Rory Lobb, isn't he? With Sean Darcy now absolutely the number one ruckman, Lobb can concentrate on being a forward, which is where he is most effective. He roams far and wide. He's got obviously great reach and good hands. And this is back to the Rory Lobb that was temptingly dangerous when he was at GWS. Very handy for them. Tracy's an interesting player, does some bullocking work and is a beautiful set shot. That always helps. Mundy was excellent. One of their real heroes was a bit of a favourite of yours when Hogan was at Fremantle, Lockie Schultz. He's a, he played really well. He, he's very solid. He's actually with that big caboose of his. He reminds me of a, a former Fremantle player, Clancy Pierce, who was very hard to <laughs> shove off the ball. But they use those, both of them use the big caboose to advantage and he certainly knows where the goals are. As for Collingwood, I think they'd be pleased with the development of their youngsters, wouldn't they? You mentioned Bianco. Poulter, he was great in that last quarter, went where Angels feared to tread and shows that he's got a real future for mine, Poulter. So they're two bright sparks. How about Darcy Cameron's form? I don't think... Look, we know that they got him as a backup ruckman. I don't think anybody thought that he was going to be a seriously good around-the-ground mark and forward target for them. But credit where credit's due, he's playing really good football, Cameron. You know where Collingwood worried me, though, Rowan? Where? They've got three or four players that either physically aren't 
able to get in the clinches and win the ball or don't have that as part of their nature. Now, people look at Dacos. He's very good around the ball, around sort of the, the pack in terms of his evasive skills, but he is a slight footballer who knows that he's best served in clear water. I'm not sure about Callum Brown. I'm not sure still about Hoskin Elliott's attack on the ball. I'm not sure about Josh Thomas. Uh, you need to have, I think, bigger bodied, more solid players in some of those positions for Collingwood to really take the first step in their development. Yeah, I, I think they've got to, and I'm, I reckon they probably will to throw in some more of these kids because I look at the, you know, the, the, better brand of footy, the more exciting brand of footy they've played over the last few weeks. And I think Bianco and, and Pulver have been pivotal to it. You know, it's just, you play the kids, you get an extra air of excitement about your game. And I think that's really the case with the pie. So, uh, you know, if nothing else, those two have been really good finds, I think. And, you know, maybe the last couple of months of this season is a chance for them to unearth a few more. They have got um, a clutch of them we still haven't seen much of. As to Frio, well, you know, with Richmond faltering, uh, with the Swans losing, there's some sides outside the eight just eyeing off a spot and thinking, well, can we do it? And I was just having a look at the Dockers' draw. They've got five of their last eight at home. One of them is a derby. Um, having said that, it is a pretty tough draw. They've got in succession Geelong, Sydney, Richmond, Brisbane, West Coast. That's a pretty tough run of five games. So I'll tell you what, if they do make it, if they do make it, we know it won't have been a fluke because uh, they'd have to win a majority of those games and that's against some pretty quality opposition. Rowan, I think that will probably keep them out. But yeah. I think they're a more enjoyable team to watch than you do. And I do want to comment on one player who is not immediately mentioned in their in their clutch of good players. By the way, what has happened to Michael Walters? Mm. He is really off. Mm. I mean, he's played enough football in a row now to be a better player than he's showing at the moment, bro. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, look, credit where it's due. I've been pretty, yep. cr pretty critical of him this season, but uh, definitely a, a great performance yesterday. Yeah, so that one player is James H. Oh, I didn't... I thought he was a handy sort of 10 to 15th best player in that team. He's better than that. He's very good, creative, sure-handed, quite courageous. No, he's a good player, James Ace. And I, that dips my lid to him. It's taken him three clubs to find his feet, but from Brisbane to Collingwood, but now at Fremantle, I think he's a good player. And just one final word from me on the game. I know you love Hogan's heroes when it comes to talking about Frio. So I want to use a line by Major Hogstetter who, whenever he came across Hogan, used to go to Clint, who is this man? Because that's what I kept saying when Brady Grundy got the ball. Boy, did he look different, clean cut. He did, yeah. He's cleaned up his act. Uh, yeah, James Oates had a great season. Uh, I've got to say, he uh, carries a disturbing uh, likeness to my son, David. Which he does. He <laughs> Rowan, you've got to... Next week, when we do footyology final siren... 
can we put up a graphic of the two? <laughs> Mate, he does look like your son. That's true. I have pointed this out, and we uh, we have had a bit of a chortle about that. Also, someone's <laughs> comment. Also, someone's comment yesterday. Is there a, a, a less physical sight in AFL football than James Aish wearing a long sleeve Fremantle away strip? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? It made him stand out, and he's the sort of player. Uh, Collingwood supporters wouldn't do this, but you know, in soccer, any player that's played for your team gets the roundhouse booze from the opposition. If Collingwood supporters would have done that with James Aish, they would have given up after about twenty because he got a lot of the ball. Yep, yep. No, look, hats off to the Dockers. Uh, terrific. Uh, David Mundy, um, young Brayshaw, Ryan, Darcy, Henry, and young David Connolly there in the long sleeves. Uh, <laughs> next, <laughs> next week, Frio are at home against Carlton on Saturday evening at Optus Stadium. That game at 7.40pm. And the Magpies, they turn out on Sunday afternoon against St Kilda, 320 PM. All right, we had two games simultaneous at 1.45 p.m. on Saturday. Let's talk about the other one. The second Saturday afternoon game was at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, North Melbourne's third Tassie game in a row. Uh, a draw and a loss from the other two. Could they get a win on the board and their second victory of the season? Well, they could against Gold Coast. Now, uh, we, I was... Tempted to say hapless Gold Coast, but this is a better version of the Suns. They did scrap pretty hard and were a chance uh, pretty late in proceedings. Scores close for much of this game. And finally, a nine-point win to the Roos. Nine goals, 18-72. That inaccuracy certainly helping keep it tight. To Gold Coast, 9-9-63. The goals for the Roos, three to Larky. Two to Zerha, singles to Davies, Uniac, Simpkin, Turner and Marnie. For Gold Coast, Josh Corbett, three. Thought he was impressive. And singles to Ainsworth, Ellis, Sexton, Flanders, Smith and Greenwood. Well, the uh, breeze, a bit of a factor in this game, Fine. doesn't we, we don't say that very often these days, but uh, a definite pronounced wind advantage to one end, which Gold Coast have the use of in the last quarter. But uh, North really dominating the early going in that last term and giving themselves enough of a buffer to withstand a couple of late Gold Coast goals. Uh, great effort by them to get a second win on this season. Their performances in recent weeks have certainly deserved it, don't you think? Well, Rowan, North Melbourne went into this game favourite, and fair enough, to be honest. Gold Coast don't have a lot of trust amongst the football-following public, and North Melbourne are good in Hobart. They beat Hawthorne there, drew with GWS, a game that they really could have won, should have won, and that's good form coming into a game against the Gold Coast Suns, who did not make it easy for them. Fair's fair. And I think Gold Coast... If I would have told you that Matt Rowell would have no impact on the game, you'd probably think the Gold Coast are going to struggle because that would be somewhere you'd think that they couldn't actually improve. But their back line was good. Lacocia's excellent. Bose, both of those guys will walk out of season 2021, not walk out of the Suns, but end the season with heads held high. I think they're both better players than 
start of the season. They were pretty good at the start of the season. As you say, Corbett was a target up forward, but unfortunately for Gold Coast, effort doesn't quite equal result at the moment. And speaking of Corbett, he played on Josh Walker, and yes, he did have him early, but wasn't Walker important and instrumental in that win with a big, important mark late in the game, contested up in the gold square. Gold square. Just let me chip in, chip in there on Corbett. I, I find yeah. it staggering that he hasn't been more of a regular in that side. I mean, he's been in the VFL, I think, the last five or six weeks. I mean, surely he is worth a go for a, a decent spell as a key forward. He's got uh, great marking ability. He's a decent kick. He presents well. So that was one thing I thought. You talk about Gold Coast effort not equaling execution. Got a good stat for that one. 19 inside 50s in last that quarter. last quarter for yeah. a return of one goal five. Yeah, that's a really good point. They were they were peppering down there. Not helped by, um, you know what? I don't want to get stuck into the umpires, but I'm going to get stuck into non-umpiring because not paying decisions is actually more frustrating. And there was a moment in that last quarter where there was a potential holding the ball or ball up, but not 10 seconds of nothing. In the end, the players stopped playing and just said, mate, what are we doing here? Have you lost your whistle almost? Um, Look, you're right about Corbett, but what I can't get over is that he's not constantly called Ronnie or when they talk about him after the game, his teammates don't call him Ronnie. It's the most natural nickname in the competition. And I just have to oh, get over the fact... If you're 50. Oh, all right. So, young people, there was a guy called Ronnie Corbett. You know what? I'm not sure why certain people had nicknames that we adopted growing up. I don't know why Brewster was called the Flying Doormat, but we all adopted it. You know, young people can follow old people's leads now and then. Call him Ronnie. Anyhow, back to the game. Cunnington was his usual at-the-coalface, tough, brilliant best. He's not going to win the Brownlow, but gee, he's going to get a few votes. And fortunately, North Haven won or won't win enough games. No, just quickly, I, I just want to. Yeah, I, I was going to pay a special tribute to Cunnington because he got absolutely smashed literally in the first contest of the game. Picked himself up and just proceeded to play a fantastic game. Twenty-eight disposals for him. He had five tackles. He had eight clearances. He had a goal assist. He is, uh, you know, North people will roll their eyes when I say this, but it is true. He is still so underappreciated for how consistent he is and how much he leads that side. Great player. Look, these two teams are lowly. With North Melbourne, they're going to start the road to redemption this year, and I think they've taken some good baby steps. For Gold Coast, they should be well ahead of North Melbourne at, at this stage of their development, and... That's not good. You, you should not be losing to North anywhere on the planet, Gold Coast. No, absolutely. Well, they've got a home game against a chastened Richmond next Thursday evening. So, quick turnaround for them. Uh, and, uh, ooh, they'll get an angry Richmond. I wonder if that could get ugly. Or, alternatively, it's a good chance for the Suns to say we actually are a serious football club and football team. And that's their menu. The uh, Roos have got the last game in round 16. It is a twilight clash on Sunday afternoon at Marvel Stadium against the Western Bulldogs. Speaking of twilight clashes, 
We had one move to twilight on Saturday and this was a corker of a game. We had a twilight game on Saturday at Adelaide Oval between Port Adelaide and Sydney, two members of the top eight. And it was a ripping contest back and forth in doubt until literally the last couple of minutes of the game and ultimately the home side prevailing by just 10 points after a uh, ceiling goal from big ruckman Scott Wise set the power. 12 goals, 9, 81 to Sydney, 10, 11, 71. Goal kickers, two to Dixon and the rest all singles. Marshall, Rosie, Farrell, Powell Pepper, Houston, Boak, Bergman, Marshall and Mays, the sub coming off the bench to kick the goal that uh, took Port back in front again in that last quarter. Oh, I said also a goal, sorry, the goal that sealed victory. And for the Swans, four goals to Buddy Franklin, two to Papley, two to Haywood, singles to Golden and Parker. Uh, what a cracking game this was, Finally, You just didn't know who was going to end up in front. Sydney coming again when they looked gone and then Port resting that advantage back and uh, just happening to be in front when the siren went. It was a classic game. Rowan, clearly for me the best game of the season. What say you? Uh, oh, gee, close, not quite. Uh, it was I'll, tough, I'll, though. Yeah. I'll make my case and see whether I can sway you. I loved, first of all, tight game, brilliant contest. I think we agree on that. I loved the buddy sideshow with the late appearance of Alira Lear, who was, you know, he was beaten. And what happened was he was beaten. Then Trent McKenzie got injured and Alir came back onto Buddy. And Aaliyah took a really important mark, did some key things in the last few minutes. But what a great sideshow that was because Buddy was in obstreperously good form. He got reported for a front-on bump, which will be interesting. But he was sort of an angry, feisty Buddy. I loved that. I loved the way Travis Boak, who was beaten in the first half, he sort of had to wear a tag, but he wore Hewitt and ended up almost being best on ground. Parker, brilliant. For me, it just had all those elements. If you were promoting the game, you'd certainly have the stars and co-stars names up in lights. I loved it. Yeah, no, convincing, convincing counter-argument. Certainly had a lot of those subplots, didn't it? And uh, a, a great reminder that uh, despite Buddy's advancing years, when, uh, when the mood takes him, um, boy, he can still be incredibly destructive. I'll say this about the Swans. As you know, I've been a bit of a fan most season. I thought they got their sense of adventure back. They just seemed to, I don't know if it was the ground or whatever, but they just seemed to play a more attacking, uh, faster brand of footy than they have been playing in recent times. And it was more like the Swans of the early season. And it was pretty obvious that was the way they were going to play right from the outset. The first quarter was a cracker. Nine goals, four goals to Port, five to Sydney. But I think if Sydney continues to play uh, that brand of footy, that more adventurous, bit more risk-taking, they will comfortably hold their spot in the top eight, I think. Yeah, they easily. They look like a top eight team. And they've got cause for a little bit of angst. Four times in that second quarter, the ball went to me to pack contests in the port forward line 
And four times the umpire blew his whistle and gave a free kick to Charlie Dixon. Now, maybe on super slow-mo, there was a touch here or there. A couple of them were absolutely ridiculous, actually. Maybe Caden Brand got over his shoulder in one of them. But in a tight contest, they seem to be plucked out of nowhere. That's just my call. And Charlie Dixon certainly was... um, he sort of got slingshot into the game, if that's a word, for <laughs> the past tense of slingshot. For the Swans, you know, some of that daring do, I think, came from Justin McInerney, who was really good in bringing the ball inboard, taking the game on. Yeah, he got caught once or twice, but I liked his game. I really, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of Port Adelaide's sort of, uh, courageous defenders. And when I say courageous defenders, how about that mark by Houston late in the game? Mm. That was in a hole that nobody wants to be in. They used to say standing in front of Tony Lockett took some guts. Well, it would have. But I reckon a rampaging buddy would have come a pretty close second. So well done, Dan Houston, one of many courageous defenders for the power. I want to throw this one to you quickly or a couple to you quickly. Are we more convinced of Port's flag credentials now after a win like that, albeit one at home, because the, the flat track boy thing really has been an issue for them. But, uh, you know, it showed a fair deal of pluck, I thought. Yeah, I, I just feel that like their win early in the season against Richmond, at home, you've got to respect them. You really do have to respect them. Do I think that they could come to Melbourne once or twice and win a flag? No, I don't. I don't, Rowan. Yeah, I, I don't either. Um, I've, I've got to say, I, I just think they'd need to be presenting a, a stronger profile than they have to date. As for the Swans, just having a look at their run home, boy, they've got uh, a massive season-determining three weeks coming up. You'd suggest they have West Coast next week, although uh, this could be a big uh, hand for them. That game will be played at Geelong. Uh, they've got the Western Bulldogs and then they've got the Giants. But after that, they've got the Dockers, Essendon, St Kilda, North Melbourne and Gold Coast. So they can hang well, in Well, there. hang on. Dockers, Essendon, St Kilda can be a tricky triumvirate as well. It could. You'd like to finish with North Melbourne and Gold Coast. Those are your last two games. I think if they can hang in there <laughs> yeah, long that's, enough. That's not bad. If they can hang in there long enough, uh, they will retain their spot in the top eight. And that will be a significant achievement, I believe. Uh, so, and to those games, I'm really trying to wrap my head around that Sydney West Coast game at Geelong. That is just bizarre, isn't it? That game is 1.10pm next Sunday. I wonder what sort of crowd they'll get. Uh, good chance for the people of Geelong to uh, demonstrate that they are interested in things other than just the blue and white hoops. Uh, so that's just Sydney's, on that, just yeah. on that, Rowan. The Victorian government think they're going to get a good crowd because they've paid it's a Swans home game, isn't it? Yep, $250,000 to the Swans for hosting it in Geelong to try and get some rural tourism happening. Well, uh, show some faith in the uh, government Geelong people and turn out in droves for this game. And uh, as for the power. They have Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium. That is a Saturday night clash, 7.40pm. All right, we had one game on the Saturday evening and that was a big game too with uh, an exciting finish. 
the Saturday night game at the MCG, Essendon up and coming and Melbourne, well, indisputably the best team thus far in 2021 on top of the ladder much of the season. And it was an 11-point victory to the Demons in front of a reduced capacity MCG crowd. The final scores, Melbourne 9-14-68, defeating the Bombers 8-9-57. The goals, two to Jordan, two to Petrarca, singles to Harms, Jackson, Spargo, McDonald and Sparrow. For the Bombers, two to Jones, two to Wright and singles to Stringer, Smith, Heppel and Hooker. Well, funny, I'll just quickly throw this to you. I don't know how I feel about this game because I think Melbourne ultimately did well to take the points. Probably could have won easier, but for a, a few wasted opportunities. The thing that worries me from a Melbourne point of view is I don't think Essendon played that well. I thought they had some key players who were pretty much non-contributors, and yet they were still able to push Melbourne to the brink. And um, yeah, you just think uh, that was a game against a better side. Uh, Melbourne may well have ended up losing. That said, they did enough to get the job done. So a win's a win in ladder terms. Anyway, how did you see this one? Uh, yeah, I'm, I think you're onto something. That sort of nagging sense that a really genuine premiership contender takes the game with 15 minutes to go, 17 points up, and closes the door on a team like Essendon. Now, Essendon closed the door on themselves because despite having opportunities in that last 15 minutes created by really sort of turning the game around and starting to control the ball across the centre line and making it very hard for Melbourne to transition... They weren't able to get a result up forward. They kicked a lot of balls into that forward line and Melbourne's much vaunted defence did stand up. When you've got May and Lever, just kicking the ball high into the forward line is not going to work consistently. Worked a couple of times for Essendon during the game, but they didn't lower their eyes enough, I think. And one of the main offenders there, even though it wasn't about kicking it to the contest, was Jake Stringer. Look, he was brilliant, we know. Absolutely superb last week, but a little bit of selfishness crept into his game. And when he got the ball around 60 or 70 metres out, it was me versus the goal umpire. Mm. And it worked once. And that's about the only time it worked for Jakey Boy. So he should be lowering his eyes as, as well. Yes, right. I think... Um, on that. I, well, I, I think Essendon, to win, you need to uh, have Essendon, some of their forwards at least, bobbing up in your best players. And I thought... Merritt and Parrish were so far and away their two best players. Got their hands on the footy uh, that many times. Of course, 41 to Merritt, 37 to Parrish. There you go. There's nearly yeah. 80 disposals between them. But it was instructive. And Rowan, their, their next press was probably Heppel. Uh, again. Well, that's what, well, that's what I was going to say. The, the, the next big plus for Essendon was the defence. I thought Heppel was great. I thought Ridley was good. I thought James Stewart played a really good game. Um, but you need more than that. And they're, they're forwards or the, you know, the sort of the bigger stars or glamour players, if you like, didn't come to play. I thought, you know, Hooker didn't do much. Look, Jones, his flashes are great. But, I mean, for all that, he's only had a handful of touches. Nick Cox is starting to look really tired. I think Peter Wright doesn't contribute enough. Uh, Tipper had a, an ordinary night, Tipper. Sam Draper had his pants pulled down by Max Absolute. Gordon. 
what yeah, Jackson. That's almost where they lost the game with Sam Draper. He went from getting beaten to getting frustrated and giving away free kicks. Yeah. But he got absolutely he got taken to the cleaners. And the sorry, one, just one yeah. one more mention for my uh, my whipping boy of this year, Devin Smith. Can you please stop mouthing off and giving away unnecessary 50-metre yeah. penalties or abuse? It's getting really tiresome. You're supposed to be a leader of that side. Knock it off. It sets a shocking example. Rowan, just what's the opposite to a whipping boy? Uh, Post boy? Pin-up pin up boy. Pin yeah. Up boy. I reckon your fourth best player was your pin-up boy, Langford. He's a really good aerobic midfielder, I reckon. And he kept presenting and presenting and he got a lot of leather as well. And just the one forward you didn't mention, I thought was very competitive. Never got quite close enough to goal to hit the scoreboard. But I thought Waterman, from the first contest he made, which resulted in Essendon's first goal, and that was great. He just was able to get to the drop of the ball and make a contest that spilled out Essendon's way. I, I like Waterman. He's got mm. a bit of a Scott Lucas head with oh, his he, short cropped hair, yeah. but he, he just needs to get a bit closer to goal to to really confirm a spot in that team. But I thought well, his marking was good. He didn't back himself on. He's got a beautiful kick on him. And yep. last quarter, a couple of times, yes. he, he didn't have faith in himself. And Essendon's delivery inside 50 in the last quarter when they had their opportunities was woeful. Well, now, listen, we, we need to talk about Melbourne. They're on top of the ladder. Uh, right, uh, you know, after that win, they were actually two games clear on top. Um, why do we still have our doubts? Well, part of the problem is that they haven't worked out their forward line yet. It actually looks better to me without Wiedemann and Brown. They've got no obligation to either of those players to play them. And as much as it looks better, it's still not quite scoring enough, is it, Rowan? They're pretty good conditions last night in Melbourne. And they need to hit the scoreboard more often. Kaziah Pickett, he's exciting, has probably waned a little bit in terms of goals, in terms of scoring presence. Jackson's okay as a target. We saw him make a, a crazy mistake. Not that he played on from 15 out, but that he kicked it like it was a balloon at a kid's birthday party. And just they don't seem to me to have a bankable commodity up forward. And when you look at the premiership teams or the other contenders, we know Geelong's forward line can absolutely bristle. We know that Brisbane have got goal-kicking power. Richmond, when right, if they get up there, has it with Lynch and Rewalt and others. I don't think Melbourne has it. Yeah, look, I, I think they're all good points. I do suspect that the other element to this is probably a subconscious thing that when a side sort of emerges from nowhere, it, it just takes a while to convince us um, of their capabilities above and beyond those of sides we have actually seen do it already. And I think you find that with any side when they emerge as a, a genuine flag chance, you sort of, it doesn't feel right and you're not familiar with them and it, you sort of keep arguing against yourself about as to why they can't. Um, I do have those feelings too. It'd be interesting to see how they play out the rest of the season. I mean, if they end up, you know, dropping only one or two more over the course of the season, they're clearly going to be a very big chance to win the flag. Yeah, I mean, that back, it's all, it all stems from that back line. That really is their ace in the hole, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I thought, uh, yeah, some of their outside run too. I thought um, Langdon particularly uh, good for them in that win. And Oliver and Petrarca, well, they're just class acts, aren't they? Sail on the other one off half-back for them. 
And, uh, and Hunt actually played a better game in that he provided more run than he has in recent weeks. I think he needs to come into the picture as well, which he did. Yep, true. All right, the Demons next week, they have got GWS at the MCG Saturday afternoon, 1.45pm. And, of course, Essendon venturing down the Princess Highway to GMHBA Stadium for the first time since 1993. I wonder what cars they were driving down there then. I'm not a car person. I don't know what the uh, hot fashion car was of 1993, but I'm fair to say we're not seeing it on the road now. (laughs) Why I even went there. Uh, They won't be driving down there in a, a jalopy of some description. Geelong taking on Essendon, 7.50pm, GMHBA Stadium, Friday evening. All right, that was the Saturday card, but we still had three important games to be played on Sunday. Let's discuss them. First game on the Sunday menu, 1.10pm at the MCG. Of course, this game originally scheduled for Giant Stadium in Sydney, a GWS home game. Well, they chose to have it transferred to the home ground of their opponent, Hawthorne. And it may be a decision they come to regret because they lowered their colours and it could do their finals prospects irreparable damage. The final scores in this game, Hawthorne, 13-12-90, 18-point victors over the Giants, 11-6-72. The goal kickers for the Hawks, Dylan Moore, four goals. He's been really good for them this season. Two to Tim O'Brien and one of the all-time great marks, Fanny, which we'll elaborate on. Singles to Warple, Phillips, McAvoy, Bruce, Wingard, Newcomb and O'Meara. For the Giants, two to Hill, two to Green, two to Lloyd, two to Ward, singles to Perryman and Finlayson. Well, talk about a dramatic change coming over proceedings, Fanny. GWS absolutely dominant in this game early. Probably didn't get enough scoreboard advantage for their dominance, but they did kick the first four goals of this game. And from that moment on, they barely fired a shot until late in the third quarter as Hawthorne completely took over and themselves racked up a pretty decent lead. The Giants came again late in the third term, but a really strong final quarter from the Hawks. Five goals, three to them to the Giants three and very deserved winners in the finish. And you know what? They've been pretty solid for a while now, the Hawks. I thought they were pretty good last week, even in defeat. Of course, managed to upset the Swans apple cart a couple of weeks previously in Sydney. They're actually starting to play some decent football and some good future prospects shining through. Do you agree? I certainly do. And I'm going to throw a couple of hackneyed old sayings at you. The first of them, what a difference a day makes. Will Day's a ripping footballer. He's got a great future ahead of him. And since he's returned to the team, they have looked far better with a half-back line that now doesn't just stop at rebounds. I cannot sing his praises, as most football followers follow in suit, highly enough. He's a ripper, isn't he? Yes. And and I'll throw you another hackneyed saying, but I'll rework it. Not less is more, but more is more. And more was more than the GWS Giants could handle in that last quarter. In fact, he almost sealed the game with a set shot that just nicked the inside of the post. That goal would have just about put the Giants away. They did come again. And when Callum Ward goaled, you thought that they were maybe going to run over the top, but 
no, at this point, by the way, Wingard was off with a hamstring injury and the man with the name like a First World War, World War Army officer, and he looks like a First World War Army officer, was also a casualty, Denver Barris or Granger Barris. I'm always going to look at him as Sergeant Granger Barris, but they managed to find a way. And how about that goal by Newcomb in the last quarter? You could have knocked me over with the proverbial because I just didn't think he had the legs in him. He had a chance to kick a goal from 50 metres out. And I don't think any of his previous AFL kicks suggested he'd make the distance, but he put it through. Great effort by well, that the was, that, draftee. That was one of the goals of the year. What about the mark by Tim O'Brien? I tell you what, if that it's a good year for marks, I, I reckon that's certainly at the very least on the podium alongside Shea Bolton and Jack Rewalt for me. In fact, I've put out a Twitter poll to uh, test public opinion if you want to check my timeline and vote on that one. I think voting has another 20-odd hours left. So jump on with your verdict. Where do you rank it, Fanny? It was some grab. Great grab. I just, you know, he doesn't take enough marks, Tim O'Brien. So in a way, it'd be sort of lucky. Not lucky, but... I guess not indicative of Tim O'Brien if he's walked away with Mark of the Year, but he took it. I tell you what, it very almost was not Mark of the Day. <laughs> did you see Eddie Betts' attempt I did. against Adelaide? I think that one almost would have topped even Tim O'Brien's. But look, it was a great game from the Hawks. McAvoy led well. As far as the GWS Giants... You know, it, not until sort of Toby Green got them back in the game. Yeah, they started well. And then it took Toby Green to reignite them third quarter, start of the last, and maybe they could win the game. But no, I really do feel that that is the final shot for GWS, even though they're only half a game out. I just don't think if you can't beat Hawthorne, and all credit to the Hawks, but you've got to beat Hawthorne if you're going to make the finals, Dave. Yeah, you do. And I, I think we'll look back and, well, they will look back and say this was the one that cost them the final spot because they should have been, well, could have been in the eight tonight had they won. They're not, of course. Their run home is as follows. They've got Melbourne next week. They've got Gold Coast, okay. But then they've got Sydney. They've got Essendon away. They've got Port Adelaide. They've got Geelong. They've got Richmond and they've got Carlton away. So there's a pretty tough run home. And they do uh, certainly make the most of these games that they should be and were expected to win. This was one of them and they blew it. And uh, I think they will come to rue the day and miss out on finals for a second consecutive season. You know what else they've got, Rowan? What? Buckley's are making the finals with that draw. Speaking of Buckley, Something interesting happened in the last quarter. Now, he was playing on Dylan Moore. And by the way, if we give Dylan Moore credit, give young Bramble credit too, because he dished off those last two goals and a good player he is, Bramble. When he kicked the second last goal, the cameras panned back and it's just one of these modern dynamics. I guess you and I don't quite understand the younger generation. But it seemed as though his opponent, Buckley, and himself were having a convivial, like just a friendly discussion. I don't know what Buckley said to him, but it must have worked because 10 seconds later, he kicked another goal. That happens all get... the time now for Yeah, you. it's amazing, it's... isn't it? Well, uh, yes and no. I, I actually like it. I mean, m- most of these guys are such fated juniors that they 
bump into each other a lot well before they even play AFL footy. So they know each other. And I sort of like that aspect of it, that you can still have some conviviality even while you're going hammer and tongs professionally. I don't know, it might not fit in with uh, our generation's thinking, but uh, personally, I don't mind it. Anyway, uh, back to business. Uh, It's certainly an uphill battle now for the Giants as far as finals go. Next week, well, (laughs) you thought that was a big test against Hawthorne. Try Melbourne at the MCG Saturday afternoon, that game, 1.45pm. Probably curtains for the Giants unless they can call what would be a major upset. As for the Hawks, they've got Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. Well, they probably won't start favourite, but I'll tell you what, they will look at Port, particularly their record away, and think we are no small chance of pulling off Another upset here. So that could be a far more interesting game than you might have thought. Quick observation from you. They've also got Burgoyne's 400th. Correct. Now, we know that milestone games don't necessarily pan out the way the milestone he would like them to, but he's such an admired figure. It's great that it's against Port Adelaide as well, of course. So that covers the whole 400 that he's played. Uh, it should be a very big occasion, of course, becoming only the fifth man to play 400. AFL game, Sean Burgle. It's been some career. All right, that was the first of the Sunday games. The second one, over in Perth. Well, big game this one. Uh, Some big shocks in store. And the first of them delivered only a couple of hours before the scheduled start time when what would have been surely close to a capacity crowd was reduced to zero. Of course, uh, some COVID dramas over in Perth. Uh, the government responding by ruling this game to be played spectator-free. Uh, a real shame, uh, given the uh, well, the status of the game and the atmosphere which would have been generated. P- certainly a, an advantage or uh, more of an advantage to the Bulldogs than they would have been banking on. And But in no way am I sheeting home the result uh, merely to that because they were outstanding, the Bulldogs. If they had been starting to wane a little bit with um, people in so far as their premiership prospects were concerned, well, that might have to be reassessed because this was close to their best performance of the year. Could have been even more dominant than it was. The final scores, Western Bulldogs, 13-20-98, 55-point victors over West Coast in Perth. The Eagles, a paltry 6-7-43. Their heaviest defeat at Optus Stadium so far. The goal kickers for the Doggies. We had Norton four, and he was a huge figure up near the goal face for them. Three to Bontempelli, two to Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet, and singles to McRae, McLean, Garcia, and Waitman for the Eagles. Just couldn't get warm there forwards. Two goals to Oscar Allen. Singles to Kennedy, Cripps, and Finey Petrocelli. He is fast. He is fast, but it, he was a peripheral figure in this game. Um, I would have said also set up in the opening term. It should have been set up in the opening term, but unfortunately for the Dogs, didn't have their kicking boots on, but certainly gave you an insight into their dominance. Two goals, eight at quarter time to the Eagles, 1-1. The Eagles just sort of clinging on for most of the second and third quarters, but always trailing by that 20-something points figure. 
But boy, did the floodgates open in the final term. Six goals, five the dogs in the last quarter. Three of them coming to Norton, including a couple of mighty grabs. He is one of the great aerialists of uh, the modern football era, Aaron Norton. What a fantastic marking ability he has. And the Eagles held to just 1-1 in the last quarter and heads bowed and looking very dejected by the finish. Uh, We should concentrate on the doggies here, Finey, because they looked absolutely awesome, particularly midfield. Dominant, completely deserved, not only the win, but the margin. Yes, there was no crowd there. That's always a help for West Coast or for Fremantle when it comes to line ball umpiring decisions, but really no difference made. And I guess West Coast supporters owe a debt of gratitude to Premier McGowan for sparing them from what was a painful watch, if you're an Eagles fan. Painful because of their inability to transition. How many times did they have the ball on the halfback flank, look up and simply kick it to the next bloke, abrogate responsibility? They Look, that team, we talk about the sum being greater than the components of great teams. That team's now the exact opposite. The components seem good. A forward line that most teams would die for, in fact, build up to with marking forwards and small forward danger. A back line that is built around McGovern and Barras and has all the seeming parts of a strong back line. A midfield bolstered by the return of Shuey. Let's look at it. Shuey Sheed, Kelly Gaff, headed by Nat Nui. Who wouldn't want that? But together, it doesn't have enough run and gun about it. Maybe it's that back line. Shannon Hearn's a great kick, but he's not a transition runner. McGovern and Barras, or McGass, as you could call them, if you want to turn them into one, they're marks, but they don't run and gun. Is it the lack of mobility out of the back line that's costing them, Rowan? Uh, Well, it could be, but I thought we were going to talk about the Bulldogs because it was a great performance by them, so do that. Okay, I will talk about the Doggies. They were facing the question of are... you good enough to be a genuine contender this week. Go to Perth, have a good win. And not only do the four points say you are, but so does the challenge met. And the challenge was met head on by that midfield. They had, I think they had an inkling that they could be dominant there. And so it was from the drop of the ball, from the first bounce, they were all over it. And I'll tell you what, I just want to add a couple of their defenders. Interesting to see Crozier get dropped and Gardner, of course, got injured. But the defence stood up ably and isn't Caleb Daniel a marvellous player? He actually outmarked his opponents on a couple of times today to add to his repertoire. Well, the tail of a tape in so far as the midfield is concerned, they uh, smashed the Eagles for contested possession, a 30-plus advantage in contestable their clearances they dominated that they won that by 15 and that was despite west coast winning the hitouts 45 to 25 so they're great at roving to the uh, winning opposition ruckman and look they've had to because english doesn't win a heap of hitouts but uh, it is such a proficient midfield when they're firing and look uh kudos today to east melbourne's finest mullet who's pretty um conspicuously absent last week, I thought, in that narrow loss down at Geelong. Well, he certainly made up for it today. I thought he played a terrific game and really reminds you of the 
array of riches they have in that part of the ground. And still, of course, with the names Trelaw and Dunkley to return. So, boy, uh, you know, Melbourne is out on top, but they're a game clear of the Bulldogs. But, boy, there's going to be plenty of people, I reckon, jumping on board the Bulldogs premiership prospects. They are a really serious chance. You know who's added to that possibility of winning a grand final? Who's that? Waitman. Look, they, they obviously rate him. He was a number 15 selection in the draft. And given he's a small forward, that did raise some eyebrows. But he has now, with a run of regular senior football, shown his value to the team. He's a good set shot at goal, as we saw today. He's a live wire, but he's also a safe pair of hands on the lead. And most importantly, he knows how to run those leading patterns to make himself a very dangerous forward. I wasn't sure about their small forwards season start. They've solved that problem well and truly. Well, let's have a look at their run home, the Doggies. They've got uh, North Melbourne next week. They've got Sydney. Big game, that one. They've got Gold Coast. They've got Adelaide. So you'd expect them to win pretty comfortably three of the next four at the very least. They've then got Melbourne, Essendon, Hawthorne and Port. They will start favourite, I'd say, in at least six, if not uh, sorry, seven, if not all eight of those games. So it's all set up for them. Um, boy, they won the 2016 play coming from seventh. They won't have to start with that handicap this final series. Uh, it's looking terrific for them. That was a real statement game, I reckon. Uh, next week, like I said, they have North Melbourne, that game to be played at Marvel Stadium at uh, Sunday, 4.40pm. And West Coast taking on Sydney in the perhaps unlikely venue of GMHB Stadium in Geelong at 1.10pm on the Sunday. So I'll certainly need to find a response to a very disappointing performance, which left one game to be played in round 15. The final game of the football weekend at Marvel Stadium. This one started at 4.10pm, brought forward a bit so Adelaide could get home. It was Carlton taking on Adelaide. And after uh, a few weeks of pain and some mounting pressure, both inside and outside the club, a much-needed lifeline for coach David Teague and perhaps a few others as well. A really good win to Carlton here, fell behind early. In fact, the Crows could have been further in front. They were 2-6 to nothing at one stage. Carlton found a bit of system towards the back end of the first quarter. And boy, did they then deliver a terrific second term. Eight goals, four in the second quarter to Adelaide's three goals straight. Fantastic um, quarter of footy to watch. It was great. It was a, the way I think uh, most of us like watching our footy and uh, may there be more of it shown by the Blues and play all teams. And look, thereafter, Adelaide certainly challenged. They had their chances late in proceedings, missed a couple of uh, gimmies. Tex Walker kicked a couple in the last quarter to keep them a chance. And then even with a minute left, uh, it was it Lockie Scholl ran into an open goal to make the difference. Just six points with still over a minute left on the clock. He missed, and that was officially the end of the penny section. I think we'd, most of us would agree, though, the Blues deserved winners in the finish by 10 points. The final score, Carlton 12-11-83, defeating Adelaide 10 goals, 13-73. The goals, three to Eddie Betts and an almost mark of the year job. Two to Mackay, two to Martin. Singles to Cripps, 
Dow, Owies, Saad and Williams. And for the Crows, three to Taylor Walker. Uh, great leadership again by him. He's had a great season. Two to Fogarty, two to Seedsman singles to Keys, McHenry and Rowe. Uh, good effort by the Blues finding. It'll certainly take a bit of heat off a few key people down at Icon Park. You know, in the minutes following that final siren, one of the gushing commentators on TV, I guess it might have been Dwayne Russell, said, is this the start of something beautiful for Carlton? Well, I don't know about that, but it is the end of something terrible for Carlton, which is playing badly whilst conducting their own internal review and having the glare of the football world on them. So well done, Carlton, for putting difficult period behind them. The only way a football team can row it, and that's by winning. Cripps, who signed that big contract during the week, was very good early on in the game. Walsh ran like a tyro, 38 possessions. I'm not saying he used them all perfectly, but he was great after being tagged out of it last week. On the other side, Taylor Walker, good player. Haven't said that for a few years. I sort of asked myself, you know what? He looks in such great physical condition, did he let himself down the last couple of years by not making 100% of his preparation? I think so, because with that confidence, he runs out games and, as you said, had a big say in that last quarter. Lockie Scholl, who's a beautiful field kick, might be moulding himself on McLuggage, maybe a beautiful field kick, Parlis in front of goal. That was a terrible effort. Could have resulted in a draw. Would have been a thieving draw by Adelaide. You know, they, they've got such reliance on a player like Laird, for example, to get the ball going, and they still rely on the, his likes. I guess there are some signs for the Crows. They, they've been okay this year, but for Carlton, especially in that second quarter, a good sign as to what can happen when you... I've got a feeling you just close your ears to the outside noise and play footy because they really enjoyed themselves in that second quarter. Well, a couple of puzzling stats, uh, midfield stats from this game. You wonder about the importance of clearances sometimes because we've seen Richmond uh, go out and win three flags with, by and large, reasonably poor clearance numbers. Contest a ball is a far more reliable indicator. Interesting contrast today. The Crows won the clearance count 38 to 22, won the hit out tally, won the centre clearances 12-7, but contested ball, Carlton ended up winning that 130 to 117. They also had almost exactly 50 more uncontested possessions. And I thought the Blues really got their run and gun back, if you like. And uh, they're always a much better team when they're playing or attempting to play that fast flow on footy. Look, they've been criticised for not having enough defensive qualities. But I think you have to try and create something. And that's why... I've had a bit more time for David Teague's coaching efforts than some people. I think from where they were coming, he immediately had them playing a more positive brand of footy. That's the sort of footy that will take them somewhere rather than just this scrappy uh, sort of doer team that scraps other teams down to their level. The sort of footy they play today is the sort of footy Carlton needs to play if it is to advance. And I still don't think that's um, out of the realms of possibility. I've got my doubts about their list, but they are certainly capable of pushing and beating sides like Adelaide. So uh, pretty good performance by them, I thought. Any final so words can I on this one? Yep. Yeah, can I, can I ask you, do you think David Teague will be coaching next year? 
I'd say at the moment not. I, I think the uh, you know the the winds seem to be blowing very much in favour of a, a Ross Lyon or, or some of the ilk, and I think that's a bit harsh to be honest. Um, you know, this is his what this would be two and a half seasons in charge at the end of this year. Have they advanced as far as they were supposed to? No. Did people overestimate their capacity in those predictions? Yes, I think they did. I don't think he's had long enough to say definitively he's not the coach to sort them out. I'd like to see him get at least another year before they went out uh, headhunting someone else. But we know how Carlton has tended to operate. You suspect that's what will happen. What do you think? Yeah, they're not the sort of club historically that sit back and don't try and go for the big name fix. And that's why Ross Lyon's name keeps coming up. I would say this, I'd like to know who was responsible for the drive to get Zach Williams desperately to the club on a long-term big contract. If it was the coach, that doesn't augur well. If that sort of thing was out of his hands, then he should be cut some slack. I, I, I don't think, especially once they got sad, I don't know why they went all in on Williams. I know there's been some criticism of the way Williams plays footy and I've never been a huge fan but they didn't need to go all in for him. So I wonder who that falls to. Well, uh, Carlton being Carlton, every chance the push wasn't coming from the coach, I'd say. Next week, what have the Blues got? Well, it's tough. They've got to go to Perth to take on Fremantle. Well, hang on a sec. At this stage, they have to go to Perth. Who knows where that's going to end up? But that is the schedule uh, as we record this 7.40pm Saturday evening, that game. As for Adelaide, well, they are scheduled to having trouble finding the games this week. They have got a home game up against Brisbane, 4.35pm Saturday afternoon. So pretty tough assignment, that one for Adelaide. Can they get back on the winner's list? Time will tell. That is it for the wraparound for round 15. Uh, we've got one thing left to do, Finey. Let's have a good old rant. On Footyology, the rant off. Okay, Fidey, I'm wound up about this one and not in a humorous, piss-taking sense either. Uh, these are dangerous times in the world, none the least here with this dreaded virus and uh, horrible toll that's taken on the world already. Who knows how much of this we have ahead of us. Things are pretty serious and... Uh, there's one aspect of this that has been annoying me no end, so I thought it was time to tee off on it. Could you count me in, please? No person better place to get fair income about a fair income problem. One, two, give it your best, Rowan. I'm pissed off with COVID, Finey. Yeah, so isn't everyone? Well, sometimes you wonder. This is a pandemic that's been going on for coming up to two years now. How many lives have been lost worldwide? I'll tell you, 3.91 million. More than half a million people dead in both the US and Brazil alone. They're the sort of numbers that are pretty hard to get your head around. They should have everyone in this country doing everything they can to contain the spread and make sure we keep our numbers on the lower side, which thankfully, in a world context, they are. But we live in a bit of a bubble here, Finey. We take things for granted. And unfortunately, there's no better example of that than AFL football. Before this most recent dangerous spike in cases in Sydney, we had to endure a cavalcade of AFL identities 
holding forth on what they would or wouldn't be doing in the current precarious health environment. Almost to a man, they lined up to whack the Victorian state government for not allowing open slather on attendances. The only thing conspicuous in their arguments, their self-interest, selfishness and lack of qualifications in epidemiology. Do these people not learn? Do they not live through four separate lockdowns? And the indisputable fact that after the death toll here last year passed 800, we finally managed to get on top of the outbreak with an ultra-cautious approach, which actually placed health and lives ahead of someone's capacity to keep raking in the dollars. It seems not. And not for the first time, when there was another new outbreak in Sydney, all the self-appointed football slash health experts suddenly went quiet. Well, for five seconds anyway. Sunday was another flashpoint in the AFL's increasingly complicated job fixed during this season around the protocols of a global pandemic. We had North Melbourne players having to isolate and be tested. We had a couple of Hawthorne assistant coaches unable to take part in their club's game against GWS because they'd been involved with a Box Hill Reserves team which had crossed paths with an opponent who'd come into contact with a carrier. Get your head around that. Most disappointingly, we had at the last minute crowds turned away from what might have been a bumper contest between West Coast and the Western Bulldogs in Perth after a COVID case there. These aren't decisions made on a whim, Finey. Governments in the AFL don't take such drastic measures without being aware of the enormous financial ramifications, nor the morale or psychological health of football fans. So what would probably help a bit at least is if the now long line of former players making a killing out of talking about often the one thing in their lives at which they were proficient could just concentrate on that. Perhaps Brian Taylor could concentrate on calling a few players' names correctly, churning out a few less boring tirades about goal kicking and laying off the sermons about what health authorities should or shouldn't be doing and the wisdom of crowd lockouts. Perhaps Eddie Maguire could shrug off the relevance deprivation syndrome for just five seconds and wait at least 24 hours before wanting to hold court on more hubs, footy fests, or some other mooted solution to problems we don't even know actually exist yet. And perhaps Jared Healy, Jonathan Brown and Nick Rewalt could just focus on contested balls inside 50 and stop demanding things which are way beyond their areas of understanding. Because while we still don't know a lot about the sort of havoc this virus is capable of wreaking, I reckon based on some of the tripe these guys have been spouting, we can at least thank our lucky stars, they're not running the show. Oh, pointed words and spot on, Rowan. Just to add to the very serious nature of what we're dealing with, we haven't had the Delta strain run rampant in Australia yet. So to suggest that we should be anything other than ultra-conservative is potentially opening the door to huge numbers. I, I can't agree with you more. I'll tell you what I can do, though. I can lighten up the uh, sense of doom and gloom a little bit because I'm going to go fun for my rant. I'm going to count you in now. Are you ready? Ready to go. Three, two, one, Rant. Now, I've got football club songs in the crosshairs this week, Rowan, and it's easy to point the finger westward. Very easy. You know, Freo, Heave Ho, and the West Coast Emus, who were the big birds, king of the big game. Well, if they're big birds, they should be emus. And after all, any state that's given us the Dugites, the Waifs, and Johnny Diesel, 
or is he Johnny Unleaded by now, is a very easy target. But no, I'm going to leave the West out of it. I've got other problems. And let's start with the Richmond fiasco. You know the fiasco I'm talking about, when they had their club song sung incorrectly in the official version. It should be head and shin that they're risking, not head and skin. Who was singing that version? James Gum? You know, Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs? It puts the lotion on its body. It puts the bottle in the basket. What's a skin? Very weird. Or how about North Melbourne's club song? I don't want to be one of those sort of finicky people, persnickety, but their song starts like this. Out we come, out we come, out we come to play. Now, we is a first-person plural, but then it goes, North Melbourne boys are hard to beat when they come out to play. That's a nominative plural. Terrible grammar, Rowan. We transforming into they in the same verse. Port Adelaide, look, they had a great win against Sydney on the weekend, but their players are either too cool or too embarrassed to sing because they don't sing their song. It's more like a spoken word poem. Did you hear them after the game? We'll never stop, stop, stop till we're top, top, top. I mean, if they're going to speak it, they should get Leonard Teal. Well, they can't, he's dead. He did Man from Snowy River. They could get John Laws. There is history here in the making. I reckon Charlie Dixon could do that. He looks deep-voiced. And then, of course, there's the Gold Coast Suns. Now, Tony Cochran, emphasis on the first syllable, might be giving advice to whether Tassie should have a football team, but his first point of business should be the club song. Have a look at how it starts. We are the Suns, S-U-N-S, of the Gold Coast sky. Now, I know Gold Coast is an odd place, but Suns, plural, in their sky? Where are they on an episode of Star Trek? And they give away their game plan later in the song. Run, 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 all the way. And actually, it sounds like run, 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 all away, which is not a great line to have in a song. We all run, 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 all away. But finally, the biggest problem lies with Hawthorne. Yeah, simple song, not so anymore. We're the happy team at Hawthorne, blah, blah, blah. Riding the bumps with a grin at Hawthorne. You can't ride a bump. That's four weeks. Or you can get let off. I'm not quite sure. They've got to change their words. It's avoiding the bumps with chagrin from Dermy. That makes more sense in the modern game. Let's fix up the songs, Roko. <laughs> that was that was very, very good. I've got to say, I don't think uh, we have had discussions about the worth of club theme songs, but I don't know if we've seen them, uh, their grammatical structure of the lyrics analysed to quite the same extent you just did there. And I hadn't thought about that, the switching of, uh, I've never known the jargon. What do you call it? The switching of... Um, uh, it's, it's the first, it's it's sort of the um, first person or nominative, nominative yeah. pronoun. Now, pronoun switching, as you know, being a, a journo, is sort of well, you know, you're back doing shipping notices if you do those mistakes. Well, I, I uh, went onto the sub-editor's desk very young, Finey, and I used to say to people, look, I can't tell you exactly what the rule was called, but I just know when I read that, it's not bloody right. Yeah. Uh, and it was a decent rule of thumb. <laughs> no, that was, that was very, very funny. Well done. Uh, congratulations on that one. Uh, all right, that's it for our Round 15 review. Thanks for your company. Uh, we've got some important sponsors we need to 
thank once again, of course, this podcast, as always, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And what about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? No errors, grammatical or otherwise, at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Andrew's Herb Hamburgers. They make great burgers. They are the best burgers in town. And they are worth your patronage. And speaking of patronage, how about Nick Spartels and the boys at West Point Properties? It's a beautiful build if it's a West Point build. And speaking about the best sports data analysts in the caper at Stats Insider, also great partners of this podcast. They sample 15 sports plus across the globe and sample each event in those sports more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. There's some wonderful writing on their site too, James Rosewarn and the boys. It's all free to you, so check it out, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at statsinsider. Uh, How can you support us? Well, you can become an official Footyology patron at Patreon. Links on the website of footyology.com.au or you can just dip your hand in your kick there and become a supporter of Footyology on the ACAST support page wherever you are listening to this podcast. And thanks to all those people and thanks to you, of course, for keeping us going. We're getting some great... uh, response and great feedback this year and we really are appreciative Uh, we certainly intend to keep doing it for a long time yet and we certainly intend to be back with you very soon we will return for our round 16 preview edition on wednesday Uh, in the meantime have a great beginning of the week and uh, look if your team didn't salute as always next week we can still say that for a while yet thanks for your company we'll catch you soon Oh,